0: So good to be here along with all of you. I'm just, I'm thrilled that I get to be here along with each of you. It's it's especially, I don't know, it's especially moving and meaningful for me today because I get to see members of Christ Community Church that I've come to know. I pray for you. I appreciate you and love you. And members of Orland Park Christian Reform Church that I've known for eight and a half years now. And i Love you also, and it's really great to see the two coming together. So this is very meaningful, it's very, uh, it's very powerful, and if I cry, that's probably the reason for all of it, uh, and, uh, and so just, you know, be aware of all of that at the outset. I do have a question for Don Waterlander before we start, a couple of them. So Don, I have no ability in building a house. You're building a whole house. People with no ability can come and help build a house. People with no ability can come help, so if you listen to that and you're like, it sounds interesting to build a house, but I have no ability, you can come help. We'll find something for them to do. Now, how many weeks does it take to build a house? Six weeks. So there's, and the commitment is not six weeks, it's one week. One week commitment, and you have a six week time period to do it. I think you better talk to Don after the service to find out about participating in this great adult serve opportunity. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of, the book of Malachi? We're going to take a look at Malachi. <clears throat> I'm going to start reading at verse chapter 2, verse 17, and I'm going to read through Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. One of my uh, pastors when I was in college was an Italian guy. He's like, this is an Italian prophet, Malachi. He's like, so uh, I think about that every time I turn to Malachi. You can turn with me to the Italian prophet. Let's look together at Malachi chapter 2 verses 17 through 3 verse 5. Part of why we're going to be talking about this is that we're in the midst of Advent. And Advent is this beautiful time of year where we prepare ourselves to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Advent means appearing. It means the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. But every Advent season, While we prepare ourselves for the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we also prepare ourselves for the fact that Jesus has died and risen from the dead, he's ascended into heaven, and he's going to return. There's going to be another advent, another appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of all things, when he comes to make all things new, Jesus Christ is going to appear again. And so during every Advent season, the purpose is twofold. To prepare ourselves to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and to prepare ourselves to receive Christ Jesus when he appears again, when he comes to earth again, because he's coming back. And Malachi chapter 2, verses 17 through 3, verse 5, talk about that. It talks about Christ's appearing And and the first time is just this preparation for this return at the end of all things where he will judge and cleanse and purify. And so what we're going to do is take a look at Malachi telling us all about that. So look with me at Malachi 2, 17, verses 3 through 5. And let's remember as we hear this, that this is God's word. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord, Then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we consider these words, we pray that you would make them to come alive, and we pray that we would use this time of Advent to take stock of our own heart and our own lives, to see and understand the places where we have done wrong, where we have sinned, where we need to be purified. And we pray that during Advent, during this time of preparation, that we would say, Lord Jesus, come. Come into my life and make my life and myself to be holy and pure. Help me to be fittingly prepared to celebrate the birth of Christ Jesus. Help me to be fittingly prepared for his return for his second appearance. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's said that the famous evangelist, Moody, you may have heard of him, that sometimes as he would approach the end of his uh, days that were filled with proclaiming the gospel filled with all manner of things that made him very busy, that his prayers would be very simple. They would just be, Lord, I'm tired. Amen. And then he'd go to sleep. I've got to tell you something that's probably true for all of us, and it's something that's said so often that it's maybe a cliché, but it's true nonetheless for me. I'm tired. Amen. To a substantial extent, I'm tired. So I guess I'm preaching to you today with some amount of brokenness. Over the past three weeks or so, my prayers have been breathed out while I've been walking, trying to make sure I'm getting enough exercise. And they've been really simple. Oh God, I'm tired. Oh God, please help. And for me, one of the big causes of fatigue is that I'm heavily burdened by what we can see happening in Christ's church. It could probably be summed up as deconversion and deconstruction. Those of you who are here from Moreland Park CRC are probably, well, he's mentioned that the last three sermons, and here he goes again. It's It's something that's been burdening me substantially. Deconversion and deconstruction. People leaving the Christian faith are seeking to empty it of all of its power, and I'm broken up by those that I love who have lost the love that they once had and I'm disturbed by the lack of commitment to that which is true that's taking place in the regional group of churches of which I'm a part and so I've asked God more times than I would care to admit especially in the last three weeks where are you where are you Why is it that God seems to give us leaders of key institutions that are unwilling to say anything that might be in conflict with the spirit of the age? Why is it that those who have age and experience are soft and silent about the things that need to be talked about, putting the burden on those who are younger and don't have the same wisdom, and speak and reveal their passion, but also sometimes their stupidity? Why is it? Why is it with with all of the, the, the years of experience and wisdom that, that brings, that there is silence in places where people should be speaking. Yesterday, I listened to a podcast. It's, it's Jeremy Meeks' podcast. He's going to be here next week. He leads a podcast called Preacher's Talk. And in the podcast, uh, the men who were speaking, it was Dave Helm and it was Ed Copeland. It's Ed and Dave and Jeremy who, who are a part of this podcast. Dave and Ed, our experienced preachers, Jeremy got to make fun of them for that a lot. It was really wonderful. But one of the things that uh, was said by some of these older men in the faith is he said, you know, younger men, you've got to find older men in the faith who have been preaching a long time, who are a part of your tradition, who are really faithful, who have exhibited extreme and exceptional faithfulness and wisdom. You've got to tie yourself to those sorts of folks. And I cried. Because I thought about my tradition and my area, and I, uh, I couldn't think of any. That's not to say that there are none, it's just I couldn't think of any. And so I asked, where are you, God? Where are you? Why are you allowing this? Why won't you raise up someone? Why won't you bring this all to an end? Why is it the people who refuse to confront evil or who engage in it are those who are promoted or extolled? Why do they get all the benefits? I wonder if you've ever said the same thing when confronted with injustice or sin or that which is wrong, where are you, God? And that's exactly the question that the people of Israel are asking in Malachi chapter 2 verse 17 through Malachi 3, verse 5. To quote the Bible exactly, they're asking, where is the God of justice? They're asking the exact thing that I ask more times than I'd like to admit, that you might ask, where are you, God? Where is the God of justice? And I want for us to feel that question that Israel is asking here in this particular text as they're experiencing wrong, that they don't deserve wondering, where are you, God? I want you to feel that question, and I want for us also to see the response that God offers. I want for us to be struck by its beauty, but also confronted by the challenge that God offers us as he gives his response. So let's talk about three things. The first is, where is God? And the second is that God is going to come to purify And the last is that God is going to come to judge. So let's start with that first question, where is God? Israel asks God a question in two ways. Israel questions God in two ways in this text. Let me read verse 17 again. You've wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? This is what Israel is asking. Here's what they're saying. They're saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Let me explain. Israel at this time had returned from exile and the promises of all of the prophets were ringing in their ears. All of the promises that all of the prophets had given that were so excellent and wonderful that Israel was going to be restored to national prominence, that they'd have their prosperity returned to them, that the temple would be rebuilt for them, that worship would continue in the ways that it had before they had gone off into exile. And when they returned, it didn't seem like their fortunes had been returned. Malachi is the last prophet that we have before the New Testament, last book of the Old Testament, and he is with the people in this time where they've returned from exile, and it doesn't feel like what God has promised to the people of Israel has actually happened to them. They are not as fortunate as they were. They were oppressed by foreign nations. They had to continue to pay tribute to Persia. Their pagan neighbors had it looked out for them. The temple that was built... Looked nothing like the glorious structure that Solomon had built and had been the center of the religious worshiping life of the people of Israel for generations. In fact, after the new temple was built, there was cheering, but there was also weeping. And people, you couldn't tell who was cheering and who was weeping. And some of those might have been tears of joy because there was a place of worshiping again. Some of them might have been tears because they knew what the temple of Solomon looked like and they knew that this temple that was just built was nothing like it. Not even beginning to compare to the grandeur of the temple that used to be the place of worship for the people of Israel. They were poor and suffering. And all of the nations around Israel seemed to be prospering at this particular time. And so what they were saying is, it seems like God has no real issue with evildoers. It seems like he only has an issue with us. It seems like he has no problem with any of the evildoers that surround us. It seems like he only has an issue with us. And so they punctuate it again. They say, God must delight in evil people. He must not care when bad things happen to his people. And where even is he? Where is the God of justice, they say? God, where are you? And Israel is saying this so much that Malachi is telling them that they have wearied God. Malachi reports that Israel has wearied God with their questions. And this is a challenge for me. Because I sometimes pray this prayer, God, where are you? It's a challenge for me. And throughout the Psalms, you have these bold and honest prayers that express doubt. Prayers that are inspired by God. From the lips of our own Savior at the cross, we have the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't that asking, where are you, God? He's quoting Psalm 22, which wonders the same thing. Why have you forsaken me? How is that okay? But the question that Israel is asking here is not okay and is wearying God. Let me give to you the key difference. Israel's statements and their question demean God's justice. They're stating that he's not an opponent of injustice. They place themselves in judgment over God's actions. We're the just one. You're the unjust one. We're the ones bothered by sin. You're the one who winks at it, God. You're the one that excuses it. We're the ones who do good. You are the ones. You are the one that is okay with people who do evil. And so here's the problem with what Israel's doing. To imply or state that you are more just than God is evil. To imply or state that God is not God is wrong. To imply or to claim that our understanding of morality and justice is superior to that of the Lord God is sinful. And it wearies God. And God replies that he is a God of justice who will judge all who do evil on the day of judgment. And this is what Israel wants, right? Is this what you want? The return of the Lord Jesus to judge wickedness and to bring in his kingdom that will not end, where there will be no more death or sickness or sin. Isn't this what we want? Well, it should be. This is actually where the passage gets more challenging because God says that he's going to return, that he's going to appear, and he's going to purify. Chapter 3 begins, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple he will send his messenger and the Lord will appear in the temple. Wait, 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 wait. Isn't it all the problems outside of the temple that need to be addressed? Isn't it all the problems outside of the church that need to be addressed? Shouldn't, shouldn't Jesus appear to purify and go to all of those things out there that are the issue and make them right so things are comfortable for me again so that he can deal with all the problems that I'm facing? All the injustice that I see out there, all the sin that I see out there, Shouldn't he deal with that? Here's the challenge for Israel and for us today. God says, I'm going to show up to purify, and I'm going to show up in church, and then I'm going to purify the pastors, and then I'm going to purify all the church members before I even look at the world. a challenge for Israel. Do you see what he says? He says, behold, he will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of his covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. He will purify, verse 3, the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against all of this. You see what he's he's doing? He says, all right, you want injustice solved. I'm going to show up in church I'm going to go for the pastors first and then for the church members, for all of us who are like, the world is so broken. God says, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I show up, I'm showing up at church and I'm dealing with you first. You are the ones I'm dealing with. You pastors are the ones I'm dealing with first. Then you church members are who I'm dealing with next. That is who I am purifying. Do you want to be purified of sin? I hope that you do. I hope, that you, I hope that one of the reasons you are in church here today is that you want to be purified of sin. You want to have your own sin removed from us. I hope that we realize a few things. Here's the first one. We have a tendency to say that the biggest problems that the world faces are the problems that exist outside of ourselves all those things that we can point to on the news, all of those people that we can point to that we know that are the problem outside of ourselves, here is the issue. The most fundamental problem that you and I face is our own sin. Our own sin. We are living in a time in America of unusual division, the kind of division that hasn't been seen in, in most people's lifetimes. At least that's what some of the older members of Orland Park CRC tell me. We... Th- they, I keep hearing this again and again during pastoral visits. I I don't remember a time where things have been this divided. I don't remember a time where things have been this messed up. We live in a time of sickness and death. We live in a time of riots and siloing and injustice and the death of the innocent and encroaching secularism and the lifting up of sexual immorality. And we cry out for God to end it. And we should recognize what brought sickness and death into the world in the first place, what brought division and trouble in the first place, was sin. And for the way for you to be freed from sickness and death is for you to die with your own sins purified and cleansed. And so you should want this for Jesus to come and bring purification. You and I should want this desperately, but it isn't easy and it isn't nice. It's like the refining of silver or gold. It's like a fuller's soap is what Malachi says. A fuller's soap, let's talk about that first. A a fuller's job was to cleanse and to whiten cloth at this particular time, this time in Israel. In Jerusalem, the cleaning process took place in the fuller's field outside the city because the smell was so bad when it took place. Fuller's soap, you know, we think of soap as being nice smelling. Fuller's soap smelled so gross, You weren't allowed to use it inside the city. You had to go into the fuller's field next to the city. With the cloth soaking in fuller's soap and water, what the fuller would do would beat or stamp that cloth to remove all of the impurities. The Hebrew word for fuller comes from a root meaning to tread on. It wasn't a simple process. It was a difficult process. I want to be purified like fuller's soap. Tread on me until all the impurities are gone. That is a challenging thing to say. Or like a refiner's fire. Do you know that those hot fires must get to, to melt silver 1,763 degrees? Gold melts at 1,948 degrees. The fires of refining are really, Really, really hot, and so when we're going through times of difficulty, that is when the fires are burning, and that is when the the, the fire of sanctification is purifying us, refining us, making us to be clean and pure. And we should want this, but it is not easy. It is not easy to be refined or purified or cleaned. It hurts ourselves to die to self through putting away our own sin. And yet, this is what we need. we need. We need to be purified. So the question for all of us is, what do we need to do to be prepared for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we need to have our sins forgiven. And so what, we, what all of us are called to do this morning is to say, Lord Jesus, I recognize my biggest problem is my own sin. And I recognize that there are so many problems outside of myself that exist in the world. And Lord, I want you to fix those. I want you to to deal with all of the injustice that I see out there. But Lord, I want to invite you to start in here, in my own heart, in my own mind, in my own self, in my own soul. Make me clean and pure, Lord. Come and refine and start with me. That's the call of Advent, really, to all of us. It's a call to say, you know, long lay the world in sin and error and darkness, and it still is laying here in sin and error and darkness. And God, as I look at the world, the problem that you need to start with is me. There's this beautiful story about G.K. Chesterton. The, the, uh, the Times of London asked 35 experts, what is the biggest problem? problem in the world. And every one of them wrote back, and the the newspaper was going to publish all of these experts about what the real problem is with the world. And the shortest response was from Chesterton. He just wrote, dear sirs, I am, and sent it. That's a man that understands Malachi 3. There are a lot of problems that exist out there, but God, you got to start with me. I'm the problem. This is the challenge of Advent. God will come to judge. When he appears, he's going to come to judge. Verse 5 says, I will draw near for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, adulterers, those who swear falsely, those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me. Man. Man. It's an exhaustive list. God is going to come in judgment against those who are engaged in witchcraft or sorcery or adultery. Or you might think, all right, good. Thank goodness. I haven't ever done sorcery and I haven't ever committed adultery, so I'm good with the first two. What about this third one? Those who lie. Those who tell lies. Or those who don't pay their workers enough. Oppress the hired worker and his wages or who haven't cared for the widow or the fatherless, who have thrust aside the sojourner or immigrant, despised the refugee, not feared God. Because God's coming in judgment. Let's, let's end here with a couple of words of application. This takes us all back to where we started, Right? God, where are you? Why doesn't God do something about all the evil in the world? Why doesn't he do something about sickness and death? It's important for us to recognize that he already has. And this is what it's called. It's called the incarnation. Where is the God of justice? He's wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. He's in the temple because he had to be in his father's house. Where's the God of justice? Well, he's the bread of life, the water of life, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Where is he? He's in Jerusalem, walking where the crowds are. He's allowing the soldiers to nail his hands to a rugged cross. He's bleeding and dying He's buried in a tomb. Where is the God of justice? He's risen. He's ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father and will come again. Why doesn't He do something about sickness and death and evil and justice and wrong? He has through His life, through His incarnation, through His death, through His resurrection, and He still does. Every time the Holy Spirit enables an evil evildoer to repent of sin and believe God's doing something. Thus we know for certain that he will. The Lord Jesus Christ has not turned a blind eye to evil. He does not delight in evildoers. It wearies God to suggest otherwise. Jesus either saves sinners now or he will condemn sinners them then when he returns. Either way, Justice will finally and fully be served, and the righteous from all times and places will prosper, and the wicked from all times and all places will suffer. Do you want this to happen? Do you want for the God of justice to return and to make all things right? I pray you do. I do. Well, then invite him to start within your own heart and bring purification. Admit that you're a sinner that needs to be healed. And he'll heal. And when he returns, we'll be ready. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, Lord, sometimes we also cry out, where is God? And sometimes we may do it in the unbelieving way of Israel. Forgive us. Purify us, Lord. Like a refining fire or like fuller soap. Take all of our sins away. God, we thank you that you don't sit idly by and just allow evil to happen. But that you came to earth in your incarnation. You lived for us and died for us and rose again from the dead for us, purifying us of all of our sins. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can be among those who rejoice at your return. Prepare us today during Advent and always for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name.